Welcome to the podcast at thatguitarlover.com. I'm your host, Russ Chevalier. You've probably heard the term attenuation before. It means a reduction in signal strength, and many of us first encountered the concept in condenser and ribbon-based microphones as a means to prevent the signal from the microphone from overdriving the preamp in a recording desk or a mixer. When we saw the first amplifier attenuators, they're basically a box that went between the output of the power stage and the input of the speaker system. Those old attenuators were pretty simplistic in that they were really just boxes of resistors that prevented all the power from getting to the speakers and instead dissipated it as heat. Unfortunately, resistors degrade over time, and generating more heat on top of an already hot amplifier head is not a good plan. More importantly is that the impedance of a speaker system changes in response to the signal level it receives, and those early attenuators didn't account for that. They also tended to rob the system of highs and lows, and in many cases changed the overall sound of the entire amp-speaker combination pretty drastically. We all know, or should know, that you never run an amplifier without a speaker cabinet. Doing so is a great way to destroy your output transformer, start fires, and melt stuff. However, we may want all the sound of a fully run-up amplifier at volume levels that won't kill you, or ensure that you never get to play a location twice because you're just too darn loud, or we may find that we want to play silently, that is, having the preamp stage of the amplifier working and doing its job, but the power stage being completely quiet. And this is where that unplugging the speaker turns into disaster. The world has changed. In the older days, if you wanted to be heard in a venue, you needed a lot of power in your stage. That's why Pete Townshend was all over Jim Marshall for more powerful amps. And in California, Dick Dale kept blowing up Leo Fender's creations and was constantly demanding louder and more powerful amplifiers. Today, we put microphones in front of speaker cabs and take that signal and run it through the PA. Or we may have an amp that has DI outs and run those right to the PA with no local cabinets at all, and then use feeds from the PA to in-ear monitors to be able to hear ourselves. But... As one of those old guys who still thinks that louder is more gooder, and thinks that a tube amp at full shot is a glorious thing, but who also needs to rein in the overall volume in smaller venues and when recording... Moving to a smaller and less powerful amp is not always the answer. Now, in fact, we know that many classic rock artists did just that when recording in the studio. They didn't run up a full Marshall stack. They may have used a very low output Supro. I think you know who I mean. I want the sound, for example, of a blackface Fender Twin with the volume at 7, not at 1.5. But I also don't want to lose my hearing or have a visit from the local constabulary. Enter the modern attenuator. A modern attenuator does reduce the volume at the speaker cabinet, but does so in a way so as not to change the sound 
of the amp-speaker combination. There is a factor that we cannot ignore, that there is a different physical and emotional response to something that is louder over something that's quieter. But when it comes to performance and recording, our first goals tend to be getting the best sound to the audience or to the recording. Making our ears ring and our trousers flutter in the breeze created by a thrashing speaker is a lower priority. That's not to say that those are not great things, but what we want, and more importantly need, is a device that can reduce volume and not change the sound of the amplifier and cabinet, regardless of the final volume level. As attenuation is changed, the final sound has to be the same. This is accomplished by sophisticated circuitry that responds to the signal destined for the cabinet. The circuitry reacts to the signal and performs functions directly to ensure that the expected sound is delivered. We know that as signal level changes, a speaker cabinet that has a general impedance actually has variable impedance as that signal level changes. The process in these devices, conveniently and accurately called reactive load, does just this. Moreover, the signal that doesn't go to the speaker cabinet does not just get dumped in a resistor pool to be dissipated solely as heat. There are a number of reactive load boxes in the marketplace. You'll see some really inexpensive ones, such as from Bujera. And then the price tends to jump when we look at solutions from Sewer, Two Notes, and Tone King. Our first step is to choose the reactive load box based on the wattage rating of the power section of the amplifier. Remember, the load box is coming between the power output and the speaker cabinet. So if you've got that old Marshall head of yours rated at 100 watts, the reactive load box that you buy has to be able to handle that load. Otherwise, disaster shows up and likely blows up. Next, we need to match the output impedance of the reactive load box to the base impedance of the speaker cabinet. I don't mean base as a tone, I mean the general impedance that the cabinet is rated for. If the speaker or speaker subsystem has an impedance of 8 ohms, then the output of the reactive load box also needs to be 8 ohms. Some reactive load boxes are impedance specific, some offer a selection of impedance options. Bear in mind though that some speaker systems have no direct output correlations with a reactive load box. A personal situation that I encountered was with a Fender Twin Reverb, whose speaker system impedance is 2 ohms. I had to work with my dealer and the vendors to figure out how to deal with that since no reactive load device that I could find went lower than 4 ohms. The Two Notes Torpedo Reload is a good example of a dedicated reactive load box. So too are the two variants from Tone King, the Iron Man 2 and the Iron Man 2 Mini. This is also true for the aptly named Sewer Reactive Load. Another good option for consideration is the Head Load Prodigy from Radial Engineering. They're all built really tough. Be aware that most reactive load devices only have a single speaker output. And contrary to what you see on YouTube and from some guitar shops, using a splitter cable to drive two cabinets from one output 
is not supported and will result in a problematic impedance situation, or you could just blow the box up or your amp. However, for those of us who are accustomed to a big amplifier head driving two cabinets, you could get the cab link from Radial Engineering to allow you to properly connect two cabinets to a single speaker output because the box is designed to do impedance matching. Now, there are also reactive load boxes that do more than just attenuate. Some of them are designed to be able to run completely silent with no speakers at all. And instead, they use impulse response files to emulate a speaker or cabinet and then drive that signal straight to the desk or to a PA. Think of the two notes torpedo captor, the universal audio aux, or the WASA tube amp expander from BOSS. These devices add functions to the reactive load, including cabinet and recording microphone emulation, power amp replacement, and even reamping capability. I hope that this episode has provided some depth on the subject of modern, safe, and effective attenuation. Always feel free to send an email or post a comment. I read and respond to all. As always, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the articles and to this podcast so you are notified when a new one is posted. Until next time, peace.